After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Lord Jesus, would you come now and as we look at your word, would you uh, speak to us in Christ's name? Amen. Well, to those of you who haven't gone to Colorado or to your lake house, welcome. It's great to, great to have you here in uh, the most beautiful place to spend July 4th weekend and July 1st weekend. Some of you may not know, but Friday was a big day. It's, um, we celebrate the British North American Act of 1867, which created Canada. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of a, you know, uh, not as big. The, the fireworks are a bit more subdued than what they will be this afternoon at Kaboom Town, but never mind. We have other things to boast in. Um, like asking, like saying really strong statements punctuated with a question at the end, so it makes it more palatable. And uh, how to passively secede from a nation without violence. Um, but that's all we have, really. Um, so there we are. Um, we're going to look at this passage in Luke, Luke chapter 10, which is uh, an incredible passage, and I think one that speaks uh, to us in our time. Um, and it all centers around this, this, this expression that Luke uses. In fact, all of the gospel writers who mention this use it. And it's this thing of what it means in, verse, uh, in Luke 10, verse 1. It says, after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two. What does it mean to be a sent one? For example, if you go to Frisco or Kaboom Town this afternoon, will you actually just go? Well, no. In the imagination of the early church, Christians never went anywhere. They were sent. They were sent because there was something about being in the presence of a follower of Jesus that was different. And so, what does it mean to be a sent one? And I'll give you the answer. It means to receive as much as we can. You have to receive as much as you can. From Him, from the community of faith, just make a list of how much you can receive and just keep receiving. Because that is the expectation of Jesus. I don't know what expectation you came in uh, to church with this morning. It's just to receive. In a moment, we're going to come to uh, Holy, the, you know, Holy Communion, the Lord's Table, and you're going to be asked to receive. And that's an important thing because so much of our identity gets locked up in thinking that we have to produce or do things. When actually the identity that Jesus invites us into as a sent one, marked by His name, an identity given to us as we worship Him 
is that first and foremost, we're to receive. And out of that place of having received, we're to respond. So let's look at this. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Ahead of this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. It's one thing to go and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I think, you know, I I would have signed up for that. But here, Jesus, because you're following the wake of a great a great teacher or someone who works miracles. And here, all of a sudden, he grabs 72. And Luke, in Luke's gospel, he has not yet taught them how to pray. So just think about this. He teaches them how to pray later on. So they don't know how to pray. And he says, I'm about to go to these places. Why don't you go on ahead of me and prepare the way? What does that take? Well, you have to receive. Right? So, in order to, what is it that we have to receive? Because to me, that takes great courage. I don't know if any of you have um, followed Brene Brown. You know, I call her friend. She doesn't know me yet, but we're friends, you know, because her writings seem to capture something and package things in a way that's so helpful today. But this is what she says Courage is the ability to tell your story with all of your heart and being willing to bear your imperfections, to own the imperfect and show the real you. So the courage to go ahead of Jesus, to be used by Jesus, it requires us really to receive from him in order for us to to be courageous. And what is it that we have to receive? We We have to receive his presence, the knowledge of his love that isn't just up here but is down here, I was once invited, and some of you heard the story, so forgive me for saying it again, but you may agree it's worth telling. I was invited to, uh, to go on a mission trip in the Channel Islands, and um, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I would eat well and sleep well, and this, is, you know, this was in 2001. I had just had an encounter with God, and it was great, and I felt alive in my faith, and we went to this bowling alley. And at the bowling alley, we were told that uh, we would bowl, and then afterwards we'd go into the dining room attached to it, and uh, I would share. And people there would hear my story of how I came to faith. And so we arrive at the bowling alley, and I say, there's a bar. I mean, England is wonderful for so many reasons, and one of them is there's, who would have thought of, I guess now they have them, Bowl and Barrel has a bar in it. But anyway, at the time, it was new to me. And uh, we're bowling, and I'm the guest, so I lose, because that's what you do, right? Um, and I keep thinking, I'm so glad the people at the bar aren't with this group. Anyway, game's over, it's time for supper. We go into the dining room, and the organizer of this event uh, says, hang on, I'm just going to get our guests who are going to come and hear you share your faith. I said, great. And where does he go? He goes to the bar, and he invites everyone at the bar to come in. And um, in verse 3, Jesus says, I'm going to send you out as lambs to the wolves. And so as the wolves came in, I thought a lamb's not going to cut it. And I looked at my notes of how I'd had this experience of God's love, and I thought, Jesus ain't going to work. So I lied through my teeth. I had a, a lack of courage. I was unwilling to share my imperfections, so I invented the most glorious conversion story involving a hockey game, a puck, and bright shining lights, 
and of, uh, of seeing Jesus appear to me on the ice. And um, people were like, wow, that's amazing. And I thought, yeah, I don't know. And I could sense that God probably wasn't pleased, but I just kept him on call waiting. And um, anyway, obviously nobody responded to that because it was a lie. And uh, I remember getting back to uh, where I was staying and I just, I remember just kneeling down next to my bed, which I've never done, I'd never done before, and just saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. I lied, and, and I just didn't have enough courage to share what you've done in my life. And I had this distinct impression that he understood. And he says, I know. It's okay. And I had possibly one of the most glorious experiences of God's grace. And I, after that, I said, well, Lord, let's do it this way. From now on, you give me an opportunity to share, and I will share. And I will give me what I need to be courageous, and I will be courageous, and I will bear my imperfections to the world so that, you know, people can, can, can meet with you. And so I don't know what courage looks like for you, but the courage to be sent, as Jesus says here, in, uh, as Luke writes here in, in, in um, verse 3 is, Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's very counterintuitive today, because my perspective is sometimes when I'm going out to engage with people who don't know Jesus, I want to go out as a wolf going out to a wolf. And, you know, I'm looking to, to have the debate. I'm looking to spar in some way. And, and that is not the way Jesus says. He says, I'm going to send you out as a lamb to wolves. I'm going to send you out on, and I'm going to invite you to be undefended as you interact with these people. And so the only way we can be courageous is if we receive as much as we can of his love. Because as we encounter his love, the shame that some of us might carry that we're not perfect, that we don't always get it right, leaves us because we are focused again on the fact that we're with the one who's always right, and he's always loving, and he has all, he's taking care of everything. And that moment of courage really is the beginning of the end. It's the starting place because Jesus reminds us that we are not defined by our worst day. So this last week, what was your worst day? Rhetorical question. What was your worst day? Doesn't define you. You're more than your worst day. In fact, who you are is completely uh, in sync with the love that was put on display so that you might be invited into a relationship with Jesus and know his love. And so we need to receive as much as we can. Receive as much as we can. And then the other thing about being a lamb is uh, we used to vacation in Wales when we lived in England. And Wales is full of many things. One of them is sheep. And the something about sheep isn't they're just so cute and inherently unintelligent, but still so cute. They're fluffy, you know, and I think every child gets a stuffed sheep animal at some point in their life, and it's just, they're adorable, and, 
And you look at it and you think, oh, wow. Um, but to be sent as a lamb amongst wolves requires us to not only receive as much love as we can, but also we need to receive his kindness. His kindness. Because as we receive his kindness, you know what happens? We begin to be kind to ourselves. And when we begin to be kind to ourselves, we can be kind to others. You can't give away what you don't possess. I would love to give each of you a million dollars, but I can't because I don't possess. Well, everybody, if I could, people would be really upset they missed today, wouldn't they? Um, but I don't have that much money, so I can't give it to you. And unless I experience the kindness of God, I can't put it on display to people who are hostile for whatever reason. And so we have to receive his kindness. How do we receive his kindness? Well, you can't really, it's difficult to do on your own, but it does require the tried and tested ways of reading the Bible and praying. But you need to do that in community. You need others to help you realize that it, all, it doesn't all depend on you. As we receive his kindness, something begins to grow in us that is more powerful than kindness. It's kind of like an evolution. It's like kindness 2.0. And, and the scriptures call it compassion. We develop a compassion in our hearts that we want to run towards those who need the kindness of God more than anything. And the scriptures tell us that it's the, out of the kindness of God that he leads us to repentance. And repentance is kind of a bad word today. If you know, you mention it among certain circles, they'll think, oh, you're judging me. And I'm like, no. It, repentance isn't a judgment call. It's just saying you're not where you're meant to be. Uh, in the early days of GPS, before we had the phones, you could get, um, I can't, uh, Garmin had a GPS. You could download the voice of John Cleese and as you made a wrong turn, the voice of John Cleese would berate you. Is you know, you muppet. You've missed the turn. You're impossible to work with. Stop, stop, stop. That's not Jesus. That's John Cleese, very entertaining for the first few minutes. You can also on ways download the boys band voice, which is incredibly infuriating because it's like you've got, I guess show my age, you've got NSYNC or... Um, the Backstreet Boys telling you how to drive, which, you know, is impossible to um, figure out. But being able to show compassion is incredibly needed now. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's something in short commodity in our culture because our culture has gotten to a place where it so values emotions that if you disagree with me, the message is that you're rejecting me. And that's not true. It's not true. I just see things differently. I just think that we're not where we're meant to be and that there's a way to get back on course. So we need to receive the kindness of God. Without compassion, we become judgmental. If we're hard on ourselves, we'll be hard on others. 
I'm very hard on myself. I demand more of myself than on anyone else. And that's a problem. And I, that's something I know that I always have to work on. So to be, to be sent ones as lambs, as you can tell, we're kind of parking on this first. We're not really going to go through much more of this, but it, what does it mean to be sent as lambs with the gospel amongst wolves? So it means that we have to receive as much as we can. We need to get a courage that is fueled by his presence, a compassion that is born out of the kindness of God that admits that, yes, Lord, I've tried it my way. Forgive me. Lead me. Help me get to where I need to be. The other thing is that there's an authenticity that's needed. And this is challenging because there's a lot of authenticity today. And authenticity makes a way for people to connect with others because they have an ability to embrace who they are without the baggage of who they think they ought to be. But authenticity in our culture today is authenticity with a bulletproof jacket. This is who I am. This is what I say. Take it or leave it. That doesn't work. Well, it works for a while, but you end up having fewer and fewer friends. But there's an authenticity that is marked by the grace of God, an authenticity that is fueled by his redeeming power. It's fueled by the sense that he can make all things new and that if we let him out of his kindness, he will work all things for the good of those who love him. My challenge with being authentic isn't so much of thinking of where I should be, but it's thinking of my version of other people and thinking I should be ahead of them. Like, honestly, St. Bart's, in my mind, should be a congregation of 600 right now. Already planted three churches. Budget of $3 million. Let's go. Well, that's not, well, that's not where we are. And, but I have to realize that, that's that at the moment that is not God's plan because we're not there. And that's okay. But I need to be, I need to let go of that critical set of judgmental expectations, and I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. You need community, and you need to open yourself up to the voice of God's Spirit. And we do that by reading the Scriptures, praying, but also worshiping. It's interesting, isn't it, that the main reason why God leads the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the desert to a mountain is so they can worship Him, and that through, that through the act of worship, they would discover who they really are. Same is true. And now the, the heat is 100 plus for the next 10 days. It'll feel kind of like a desert, so we're kind of tracking on biblical expectations. But the authenticity really only works well when we tie it with vulnerability. And again, vulnerability is something that our culture doesn't really always have the right compass for because vulnerability really is the birthplace of love and belonging. To be a lamb means to let your guard down and follow the leading of another. To be a lamb means to um, be willing to connect with others 
and to share what they're experiencing. That's empathy. And that's vulnerability. To be vulnerable means that you can experience empathy. And the other thing that comes with it is creativity. It's interesting, isn't it? We let our guard down. I don't know if you ever talked to artists who've lost their creative ability. And usually there's something that's gone on where they've put their guard up or they've been hurt or someone has said something to them and they just can't function anymore. And in order to help them get back to their creative flow, they've got to do the heart work of letting that guard down to be vulnerable again. And the only way that we can be vulnerable to others is by first choosing to be vulnerable to Jesus. And for some, that's a terrifying proposition because it means saying to Jesus, I give you permission to change my mind. I give you permission to correct me and to lead me. But once you have all four, courage, compassion, authenticity, and vulnerability, something happens in the culture, in the community, is you get an incredible environment where relationships thrive. And this is the idea. These are the people that Jesus sends ahead of him because he knows that the experience of encountering just two people who've received all that Jesus has to offer will get attention. So much so that he refers to them in verse He refers to them as sons, verse 6, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, I will return to you. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if someone is willing to receive that peace, stay there. Amazing that you could actually be a forerunner of God's peace so that your presence can prepare the way for them to have an encounter with Jesus. What does it mean to be sent? It means to receive as much as we can, to receive his presence that we could be courageous and bear our imperfections, to receive his kindness that we might have compassion and move towards those who need him, and um, to receive more and more of his redeeming power so that we can have the kind of authenticity our world needs with vulnerability so that we're born, that is born out of a response to his love. I met a man this week who had those four things. Uh, the circumstances were terrible. It was, it, it, uh, it, it, it's the worst, it was the worst thing to be present to. Um, but I'm so glad I was there. We sang a moment ago the winds and the waves still know his name. Well, a week ago today in East Dallas, there was an accidental shooting where some boys had gotten hold of a gun and an 11-year-old in the wrong place at the wrong time was shot dead in East Dallas. Uh, you know, some of us have 11-year-olds, right? And I just so happened to be on the board of an organization called Behind Every Door that works in community centers. And, and this is, it happened on that site in Old East Dallas. And so we heard that the family was going to be gathering Tuesday night for a candlelight vigil. 
And so I went. Didn't want to go, but I just felt that compelled to go. And so I went with Fiona, and uh, it shows the ignorance of my understanding of different cultures. They said it was going to be at 8, so I arrived at 10 to 8. And I parked in front of the site, and I was, you know, an hour early, and, you know, I was kind of, all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and so for 30, 40 minutes, I'm the only person outside, and I'm talking to people as they arrive, and they, they ask questions, well, why are you here? And uh, my real answer was, I don't know why I'm here, but I would say, oh, I'm here because I heard what's happened, and I'm just, I'm just here. And their, their answer was surprising. It was, thank you. And um, I, par I realized quite quickly as the crowd gathered that I parked in the wrong spot because the most incredible lime green vintage Lincoln Continental convertible conversion with gold rims parked in front of my car. And then another Ford 350, which just looked amazing in every way, parked on the other side. And so I realized I'm here for the night. And um, the crowd grows. There's, I don't know, hundreds are there. And all of humanity's there. Everything's happening. The family arrive. They're in tears. Because what do you do when your 11-year-old son, who is the life of the basketball team, dies before his time through a senseless act of violence? Um, so there's weeping. There's, yet there's, there's kids that are there playing because they just know that there's people there. Then, then all of the elements are there. There's the criminal element that are selling um, whatever people need. And I got talking to one of them. I somehow got separated from Fiona and got talking to one of them and he said, would you like, what would you like? Marijuana? He says, no thanks. Something stronger? I said, no thanks. He says, well look here, everyone needs something. How else can you deal with what we've been through? Because this isn't the first child that's died here because of violence. I said, I don't know. And so I, I found Fiona, went back to her, and I felt safe um, just because she, she works there and knows, knows everyone, and I've met a number of people. And so all of this commotion is going on in the middle of this candlelight vigil. And then they say, we're going to hear from the pastor. And I was like, thank God I wasn't wearing my collar because I didn't know what to say. I wouldn't know where to begin. But up gets Lorenzo Brown, who runs the church across from, Lorenzo? Yeah, across from the center. He doesn't have a speech. He doesn't have words to say, except he leads in with words we all know. And he says, our Father, who art in heaven. And everything stopped. Everything stopped. And it was probably one of the most powerful moments I've experienced in a long time because all of a sudden there was a recognition that instead of what the world has to offer to numb the pain in that place, there was attention given to the one who can bring about change. We don't know what it'll look like. I don't know how you can prevent accidental shootings from happening to children who are playing. But we prayed and everyone gathered and when we hit your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, there was hope, there was a glimmer of hope that came in. And then he finished, came down, and I bear hugged him and thanked him because it was, for me, it was just the most powerful reminder that East Dallas needs not us to go places, 
East Dallas needs us to be the sent ones. And we can't change East Dallas unless we first start with our own hearts. And the way we start with our own hearts, whatever you've come in here with today, the invitation to you is just to receive as much as you can. Receive as much as you can. And only once you've you've received as much as you can, then you'll be sent. God has a vision and a plan for our city. And it looks like lambs. Lambs being sent out amongst wolves. And the way to do that is just to receive as much as we can. Receive his presence so that we can be courageous. Receive his kindness so that we can be led by him with compassion to be at the right place at the right time. To receive his redeeming power so that we can move with authenticity and to be so fueled by his presence that we can be appropriately vulnerable and create a community where people come and feel nourished and strengthened and empowered. Why don't we stand? Lord, we ask that by your spirit you would move in power. You know where each one of us is. You know where each one of us, what we're all facing, and you know how we need you. We desperately need you. We thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect. We thank you that you don't expect us to be equipped. You're just willing and you're able to send and equip the available. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move amongst us. You know our hearts. We don't have to explain ourselves to you, and you know how available we are and how longing we are to see you change things for the better, for your kingdom. So would you move in power, we pray, in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.